Our Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 17. The fulfillment of the law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Good, thank you, Rosie, very much indeed. Challenging words that I shall come to in just a moment. But uh, it's good to welcome you all this evening. What an inspiring start with uh, our worship this evening. That was great. And uh, I'm sure many of you were here this morning when uh, Anthony Clark was with us, and we'll be holding that particularly in your minds as we continue this very special day and as we worship tonight. So our theme for this evening is just this little thought. It matters how you live. So does it really matter how you live? As a Christian man or woman this evening, does it matter how you live? We say that we are forgiven in Christ. Whatever we've done wrong, it's been washed clean because Jesus has died for us and we're trusting in him. So does it matter how you live? The Apostle Paul in the New Testament writes so often about the fact that we are justified by faith. We're put right with God through believing in Jesus. So does it matter how you live? We have this wonderful thought that Christ has set us free that we were without Christ, locked in chains, that we were in the bondage of sin. And now we've been set free. So does it matter how you live? In what sense do passages like the Ten Commandments, like the laws of the Old Testament, still apply? Does it matter? Well, here are some words from Jesus that cause us to think carefully tonight. Words that come after the Beatitudes. Sunday mornings, we're looking uh, step by step through the Beatitudes in between some other things. And uh, therefore this morning, the second Beatitude, blessed are mourn, for they will be comforted, Matthew 5 and verse 4. But jumping on a few verses, we come to this passage, verses 17 to 20, which Rosie read just now. A passage that speaks more generally about the law and the prophets of the Old Testament and our new life in Jesus. Does it matter how you live? And this passage really comes into two sections. And in the first part, Jesus is saying something about his own way of dealing with the law and the prophets. And then in verses 19 and 20, he talks about our way or the Christian's way of dealing with with the law and the prophets. So what Jesus was saying for himself, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. And really the key to how Jesus dealt 
with all those things that had gone before him is in that very profound word, fulfill, which, on which many uh, letters have been written, almost books have been written. It's a very strong Greek word. And it talks about bringing to, bringing to completion. The purpose of Jesus is not to change the law, not to abolish the law, not to ignore the law, but to reveal the full depth of the meaning that it was intended to hold and to live it out in his own life. Clearly there are some elements of the Old Testament law that belong to a particular time and really fit only within that time. But their fulfillment was in the person of Christ himself, that he himself fulfilled what had been actioned, said, instructed in many of the laws of the Old Testament. And then there are some other elements of the Old Testament law that have a more continuing impact. And Jesus in his life brought a deeper meaning to them. And for Jesus it certainly did matter how you live. And indeed his way of living was not necessarily what the Jews of the time expected. Indeed in many ways he was the controversial one. He was the one who they might have thought was ignoring the law, was not taking it seriously. And often he challenged deeply some of the traditions that had become so entrenched. He infuriated religious leaders. He astounded the crowds. He was highly controversial. And yet at the same time, he was fulfilling the law and the prophets in his body, in his life, in his death and in his resurrection. So as far as he was concerned, all that had gone before was very important. And it came to a fulfillment, a completion in his own life. If that was what it was for Jesus, then what about us? The challenge for the Christian is clear in the verses that follow straight on. After these words say concerning Jesus... I have not come to abolish the law of the prophets, but to fulfill them. Then the words go on to say of us, anyone who sets aside the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. For he goes on to say, unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees and the teacher of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. These are challenging words indeed. We need to take the law and the prophets as seriously as Jesus did. But this takes us beyond the letter of the law, very much into the spirit of the law, and how we can develop a righteousness that goes beyond that of the Pharisees and the scribes. It's a really testing word. But I wonder, what does it actually mean? We're not talking here about being bound in a legalistic way, to some of the instructions of the Old Testament. But neither are we talking about our freedom in Christ, meaning that you can do what you like. It doesn't matter how you live. That is not the case. It really does matter how you live. And if you like, there is a way here, a third way, a better way, not being bound by the law, not abandoning the law, 
but living a life that captures the spirit of the law in a joyful obedience as those who know the blessings of our new life increased in Jesus. So to use the technical language, it's neither legalism nor is it antinomianism, but it is Christ-like obedience that we capture the spirit of what has gone before. And this was anticipated also in the Old Testament in two very important passages. In Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 33. And just take me a second as I flick through to find these. Jeremiah 31 and verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, says the Lord through Jeremiah. And then in the prophet Ezekiel and 36, verse 27, or I'll go from 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put you, my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Somehow the Spirit of God is moving within us to bring us to that life that is pleasing to Jesus and that acknowledges and is in obedience to the laws of God. You see, we represent Jesus all day, every day. So it really does matter how you live. The whole of Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, which is often called the Sermon on the Mount, is such a profound passage of teaching about how we should live. It's just oozing with so many applications. Uh, and even we would need to give, I don't know, one year, two years of sermons, really, to do justice to these particular chapters. The Beatitudes that we're thinking about on Sunday mornings, just touch our hearts and just give that right sense of attitude as to how we come before God. And then there's the reference to salt and light, which I actually spoke about not that long ago, if you have good memories, and a familiar passage anyway, about how we are constantly the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Then this passage about how the law matters. And it does really matter how you live. And then as Matthew 5 goes on, that is applied in a number of particular areas, taking up some aspects of the law. And some of these we will identify in later Sunday evening sermons and think about them. And then chapters 6 and 7 go on in uh, ways to develop this teaching. It comes to its end with the story of the wise and foolish builders, which I think we're doing next Sunday morning. We are indeed. Uh, and the wise man is the one who hears and obeys the words of Jesus and their life is built on a rock. So there's great teaching here and all of it is saying so much about how we live. But this passage tonight is saying something very special about what has gone before, that we cannot ignore it. The laws of God, the words of the prophets 
led up to the life of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, just as much as he lived out all that had gone before, we too must live out what has gone before. So what does that mean day to day? Well, it is the rest of the passage that gives us some examples. But I thought tonight I'd just uh, take a couple of other examples which really do affect us all the time. And how does it work in these situations? Let's take the example of tithing because quite a lot of the Old Testament law is about tithing. Now, if I had time, I could take you through some of what the Old Testament says about this. But uh, we'll just touch on one or two little bits. Back in the book of Leviticus, chapter 27, there is, if you like, the um, broad, broad brush, the broad landscape of tithing. The idea that one-tenth of everything that comes to you, you pass on to God. It's simple, really. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Whoever re would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. And that theme is echoed through a number of other passages in the Old Testament. Then we come to the prophets. So we come to Malachi chapter 3. And... Uh, the prophet here is encouraging God's people. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you will rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. So here's an example, isn't it, from the Old Testament. One-tenth of everything that you have belongs to the Lord. Bring it all to God, not bring less to it. So how does Jesus' understanding of that matter? And how does it matter for us, how we live? Remembering what Jesus said, that none of the law passes away. It's all important, and we need to take notice of everything that God says. Well, you might be surprised that one of the stories that Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 was of two people who went to the temple to pray. And one stood up and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. And then someone else stood up and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which one went home right with God? Well, you know the story, many of you. It wasn't the one who did all the right things and gave the right amount of money. It was the one who came humbly before God. So if we're to take this law from the Old Testament, there must be something more than just getting the right sum of money. And the Apostle Paul says something about it as well. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 
about giving generously and gladly. 2 Corinthians 8, verses uh, 6 to 9. Open this up wonderfully. Since you excel in everything, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnest, in the love we have kindled in you, see that you excel also in this grace of giving. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through your poverty you might become rich. Across in the next chapter, chapter 9, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And I think what we're seeing there is that Jesus and some of the later apostles were taking something that was very legalistic and making it into something that is a spirit of generosity and a spirit of profound gratitude to God. And it matters as much where your heart is before God as what you do with your money. But it does matter also what you do with your money. And we cannot ignore what's been said in the law and the prophets, but carry it forward into a spirit of generosity of overwhelming gratitude to God and of generous giving and generous living, whatever that means, for each one of us and everyone's personal circumstances will be different. But you are carrying over what has been taught in the law and giving to it that spirit of Christ-like generosity. What about the Sabbath? It's another Old Testament law, isn't it? And it comes up every seventh day, so it's happening all the time. And in the Old Testament again, there were rules and rituals. Start with the simple Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you do all your work. And then seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord. And that is expanded later in the book of Exodus as to what that actually means what you do and what you don't do. But then again in the prophets, there's something about the Sabbath in Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's day honorable, if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to rise in triumph on the heights of the land and so on. What happens when we come into the New Testament on the Sabbath? Well, Jesus got into all kinds of trouble, didn't he? He did all the things on the Sabbath that all the teachers of the law thought he shouldn't do. He even healed someone on the Sabbath. And then there was that discussion as to what was more important. And so how do we hear that when Jesus says everything in the law and the prophets is important to us? It matters how you live. None of it will pass away. There is something again from the Old Testament there that has to be carried into our life today 
And actually, I find the Sabbath an incredibly challenging one. Because we're in a 24-7 kind of life. And those of us who were part of the pilot course of the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course that Stuart Fisher spoke about some while ago were deeply challenged around the Sabbath. And I look at my life and I think, what's going on here? Because I'm pretty busy and there's a lot of stuff going on. And if it's not church work, it's family tasks or other commitments, where is the time when you just completely stop? Because the Jews, for their Sabbath, would completely stop. And they begin to slow down on the Friday evening and they'd have that long and leisurely meal. And then on the Saturday, yes, a visit to the synagogue. But so much space and so much quiet. God did his work in six days of creation and rested on the seventh. Where is our rest time? And that doesn't just mean going to church. Some people think that the best way to fulfill the Sabbath is to go to church a lot. But actually going to church can be a very busy thing to do. And for some people, it can be quite stressful. Especially if you're looking after the creche. Or whichever group it might be. Or you're playing in the band and you've got to be thinking and keeping connected with everyone else. It's hardly restful. It's profoundly worshipful and a great blessing to the Lord. So I think the application of Sabbath is not altogether straightforward. You could take it and say, well, we should all just uh, chill out for a day, a week. Or you should say, we should all spend a week in church, uh, spend a day in church a week. What's it actually saying? Well, it's saying for each of us, that God is calling us to have that time when we draw close to him in the company of other people in church or maybe on our own. And maybe our lifestyle makes it very difficult to take out a block of 24 hours every week. I really don't think my lifestyle is taking out at the moment 24 hours of complete break I don't think that's happening. And so I feel challenged around the Sabbath as to what it means for me to take something that was very special in the Old Testament and apply it to us. And I don't think it'll be the same for every person. And some people's rhythm of Sabbath will be very much revolving around Sunday. Come to church and then have some rest time in the afternoon or whatever. But for others, Sunday is a different kind of day. And the rhythm of Sabbath has to be built into your life in a different way. And the legalistic view of the Old Testament would say, you've got to do it like this. But Jesus' view of the Old Testament is that what God has given finds its fulfillment in him. So we say, how does Jesus want us to make special time for him? How does Jesus want us to order our finances and give money to him? How does Jesus want to order our time and give time to him? This is what is realistically taking the law and the prophets and saying it really does matter. It matters how you live. And they're just two examples. There could be many more. 
it matters how you live, in your language, in your lifestyle, in the use of your time, the use of your money. It matters how you live in the relationships that you have with other people. And some of these we'll unpack because they're in the later part of Matthew chapter 5 that we're coming to. Jesus is saying to us tonight, it really does matter how you live today. Because nothing that God has said through the law and the prophets is to be turned to one side. It is all important. It must be heard. And we must live in a way that honors him. That took me a bit longer to say than I thought. I thought that was going to be a shorter sermon, but there we are. I trust that God has enabled us to hear and to receive that.